Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Saturday, October 1st, 2022. It's been 3,136 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 219 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world, Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, Russian President Vladimir Putin's speech was nearly unhinged for a Western audience, but was purposely written for the Russian Federation and aligned with the propaganda they've been presenting for 20 years. Second, we maintain Russia's mobilization efforts are ineffective due to corruption, a lack of preparation, violation of the social contract with the Russian people, and conscripts being sent en masse to Ukraine without vital equipment or training. Third, we assess that the celebration and the Russian equivalent of mission accomplished in Moscow have suppressed dissatisfaction with mobilization, but only in the short term. The Kremlin has not set conditions for the looming defeat in the Donbass and the potential for thousands of Russian troops to surrender. Fourth, We maintain that the next three to seven days are critical as the Kremlin reveals its border intentions. It became apparent that Moscow had no plan for what to do after the annexation announcement. You can't just declare annexation, Michael. Fifth, we maintain we are in the mutually assured destruction instability paradox due to irresponsible language from the Kremlin, looming decisions from Moscow leadership, and the deteriorating kinetic warfare situation for Russian troops in Ukraine. Sixth, we maintain our assessment that as the situation for Russian troops in Kherson worsens due to supply issues and battlefield conditions, Russian troops will seek to surrender. And finally, we maintain our assessment that the Russian military in Ukraine is combat-destroyed and has no meaningful way to respond to the ongoing and accelerating collapse. The 1st Army Corps, 2nd Army Corps, 3rd Army Corps, 1st Guards Tank Army, 6th Combined Arms Army, 11th Army Corps, and the 20th Combined Arms Army are all combat destroyed and will take years to reconstitute and fully rearm. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. Ukraine continues to maintain tight operational security, and the small amount of information from Russian sources was low quality. Russian sources claimed there was fighting near Andreevka with up to a platoon of troops from both belligerents involved. There was not, however, any change in territorial control. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported Sukistavok was shelled, 
so it's unlikely the Inulets River bridgehead was reduced. We did note that the GSAFU reported Ukrainian troop positions in Arkhangelsk have been shelled for the third day in a row. Operational Command South, or OCS, stated Ukrainian ground forces carried out 330 fire missions. Interdiction of supplies and troops continued as Russia attempted to deliver supplies across the Dnipro using barges, the partially repaired Novokhovka Dam bridge, and helicopters. Artillery reports from Russian and Ukrainian official channels provided just enough insight to report no significant changes in the line of conflict. Private military company, or PMC Wagner Group, reported that a convoy of up to a 100 vehicles that were bottlenecked at the makeshift bridge in Novokhovka came under attack when the vehicles bunched up and created a traffic jam. In Mykolaiv, a Russian missile strike destroyed part of the fourth and fifth floors of an apartment building. The building was hit by an S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack, injuring several people. Overall, our assessment in Kherson and Mykolaiv is the same as it was on September 11th. We recapped it on Monday's episode around minute three or four. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, reported that a sixth landmine exploded outside the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant on September 30th. The first mines to explode on September 27th were set off by animals, and it's unclear what detonated the mines from September 28th through yesterday. The Russian Ministry of Defense falsely claimed that a Ukrainian artillery attack caused the explosion. The landmine blast damaged a secondary 6-kilovolt power line. The short circuit caused a voltage transformer at the Reactor 6 unit to smoke when it suffered a short circuit, but there was no fire. Due to recent spare parts deliveries, Ukrainian plant operators have everything required to make repairs. All six reactors at ZNPP are in a cold shutdown state. The plant was never in danger, and there weren't any radiation leaks. At the time of recording, there were no reports of artillery or rocket attacks in Dnipropetrovsk. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southern Zaporizhia where there was still only sporadic artillery fire from the Donetsk-Zaporizhia administrative border to Huliapola to Orikhiv. So let's move on to southwestern Donetsk. We do have a quick errors and omissions here. There was a typographical error in yesterday's script for the podcast reporting 1,506 fire missions launched by Ukraine. That number should have been 156. Thank you for your understanding. The Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, militia did not make any claims about ground fighting or successes on the battlefield. Ukrainian forces launched 196 fire missions on the occupied territories of the Donetsk Oblast. Officials claim that elements of the DNR 1st Army Corps, supported by the Russian Federation Armed Forces, or RFAF, destroyed two Ukrainian artillery pieces and two, quote, vehicles. The GSAFU reported continued light fighting near New York, and that's it. There were no other reports or claims of fighting by any other source. Let's move on to the Bakhmut area. We linked to a video yesterday showing a retreat, or attack? The Twitter commentariat had a raging debate. 
We deleted the video after determining that our immediate reply changing attribution from Lehman to, quote, Solidar area was inadequate. The video is reposted with corrected attribution on our Telegram channel, which we link to in the full situation report on Patreon. There is graphic content, just so you know. The video shows heavy fighting on the southern edge of Bakhmutska that occurred on September 29th or 30th. We are not going to play armchair generals on if this was an attack, a retreat, or a maneuver. The video clearly shows at least one PMC Wagner Group mercenary being shot during the run through the trees while under artillery fire. Fighting also occurred on the eastern outskirts of Solidar. PMC Wagner attempted to advance into Odradivka, while the 1st Army Corps of the DNR, 3rd Brigade, continued fighting in Zaitseve and Mayorsk. In northeast Donetsk and Luhansk, the situation for Russian troops in Lyman is grim. The city is now in a technical encirclement, with a 70-80% physical encirclement. Bars 13 and Bars 16 defending Droboshevi were forced to retreat after Ukraine liberated Stavki and Derelov. The estimated number of encircled Russian troops ranges from 500 to 5,500. It includes members of the 1st Army Corps of the DNR, the 2nd Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, the 752nd Guards Motor Rifle Regiment, which is part of the 20th Combined Arms Army, and the Russian Bars 13 Russia Legion and Bars 16. Ukrainian presidential advisor Alexei Arostovich reported Russia had committed all of its reserve forces, and an estimated 2,000 to 5,500 Russian soldiers were encircled. Ukrainian forces advanced into Zarichne, where fighting was continuing. From Yampil, Ukrainian forces advanced on Torske and the eastern edge of Lyman. Heavy fighting continues to be reported. Russian sources claim Ukrainian troops crossed the dam on the Zhedebets River and entered Terne. It's unclear if Ukrainian forces have established a position in the town or if it was a reconnaissance unit. There were renewed reports of Ukraine making a wet crossing near Dibrova and operating in the forests south and southwest of Kremina. Similar claims were made when the Kharkiv defensive line collapsed and Ukrainian troops poured south and southeast from Izum. It was established in early September that Ukrainian Special Operation Forces were operating across the Siversky Donets River and had appeared in Ozern, Yampil, and Brusivka in what, through the benefit of perfect hindsight, was likely reconnaissance missions. There are reports of night fighting on the outskirts of Kremina, but a video that only shows a black square is not adequate evidence to change the map. Earlier in the day, a Russian soldier assessed the situation in Kremina which included a lot of swear words and homophobic slurs. A third video allegedly shows Russian troops retreating from Kremina. The curse-word-laden commentary stated they were happy to leave in one piece. Finally, a fourth report claimed that Russian forces were withdrawing from Kremina. However, that source claimed that Lehman was not encircled which opens the question of why would Russian military leaders abandon the ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply route, if retreat or resupply of Lehman was still viable? Some assessment here. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence that the fight for control of Kremina, or the road west of Kremina, has begun. We had assessed yesterday that Russian forces only had enough resources to protect Svatov through Borova, 
or Lysychansk Severodonetsk through Kremina. If these reports are accurate, it appears Russian military leaders have decided the answer is Svatov. In the last week, Ukrainian forces have liberated approximately 1,300 square kilometers of territory, mostly in Donetsk, with slivers in Kharkiv and Luhansk. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to the Kharkiv region. Ukrainian forces expanded the bridgehead at Kupyansk, liberating Kurilivka. Ukraine continues to push north, east and south of Kupyansk. Further south, heavy fighting was reported in Pidliman, with Russian forces choosing to defend Borova and the critical Gilaks to Svatov. A video from September 29th recorded in Borova captured the sound of almost continuous artillery fire south of the city. In the Cherniv and Sumy region, Dmitro Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Romada of Velika Pisarivka was struck with a combination of mortars and grad rockets fired from MLRS. There was not any significant damage and no casualties were reported. In the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, a reliable report indicated an undisclosed location in the Odessa Oblast was hit by two Iskander M missiles. The attack targeted civilian infrastructure, knocking out an electrical substation and damaging buildings in the area. No further information was available. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Russian President Vladimir Putin announced the annexation of Luhansk, Donetsk, Zaporizhia, and Kherson oblasts in a rambling and truly bizarre speech. In it, he called out the United Nations Charter for the Right of Self-Determination, the justification for using nuclear weapons because the United States had used them in the past, quoted a fascist, repeated anti-Semitic myths, and generally bashed the West. He accused the West, particularly the United States, of, quote, raping Russia for its natural resources valued at trillions of dollars and for having a Satanist, homosexual, transsexual agenda. His speech was filled with hateful rhetoric directed at minority groups and repeated themes born in Russia when Tsar Nicholas II had commissioned the Protocols of the Elders of Zion to be written as misinformation about the Jewish world control myth. In our assessment, this will not age well historically and lacked a we-will-bury-you moment. The word read as if it was written by Alexander Dugin, 21st century Rasputin and Putin's brain. Just minutes later, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky announced that Ukraine was applying to become a NATO member. And about 90 minutes after Zelensky's prepared statement, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg made a brief statement saying in part, quote, NATO allies do not and will not recognize any of this territory as part of Russia. We call on all states to reject Russia's blatant attempts at territorial conquest. These lands are Ukraine. Donetsk is Ukraine. Luhansk is Ukraine. Kherson is Ukraine. Zaporizhia is Ukraine. Just like Crimea is Ukraine. End quote. 
We've included transcripts of all three speeches in their entirety in our full situation report on Patreon. United States Secretary of State Antony Blinken, when asked about Ukraine's application to NATO, said that, quote, now was not the time, end quote, but added, quote, our position is and remains the same as it has been. We strongly support NATO's open door. There's a process for joining and countries will continue to follow that process, end quote. Guess how many days it's been since Russia threatened nuclear war? Zero. The answer is zero. It has been zero days. At an emergency meeting of the United Nations Security Council, it was political theater with a motion put forward to condemn annexation that was doomed to be vetoed by Russia. Four countries, China, India, Gabon, and Brazil, abstained during the vote. The remaining ten members of the Security Council supported the resolution prepared by the United States and Albania. The resolution condemned the sham referendums and Russia's occupation and called for the, quote, immediate and unconditional withdrawal of Russian forces, end quote, from Ukraine's internationally recognized borders. During the discussion, Vasily Nebenzia, Russia's UN representative, accused the USA of, quote, obscenity. United States Ambassador to the UN Linda Thomas-Greenfield said that the resolution would be put to a vote in the General Assembly to show that the world, quote, is still on the side of sovereignty and the protection of territorial integrity, end quote. The GSAFU reported that Ukraine had completed the military exercise Northern Storm, with the armed forces working with the National Guard of Ukraine and the State Border Service to practice repelling an invasion from the Belarusian border. Speaking of invasions, let's talk about Russian mobilization. On September 23rd, Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu said military academy cadets could be called to duty if they held an in-demand specialty. A week later, the Russian MOD started gutting the future military leaders to be officers in Ukraine. Cadets as young as freshmen with no combat experience have been activated to be military instructors and field officers. The GSAFU reported, quote, Early graduation of cadets will be held at the Tumyan Military School. Graduates will be assigned to primary officer positions in military units equipped with a mobilization reserve. The cadets of the final courses of the Rezon Airborne Training School are being sent to train mobilization reserve regiments near Rezon, Omsk, Pskov, Tula, and other cities. End quote. The trainers will become field officers, with the program lasting less than a month and their deployments yet to be determined. Serious questions remain on how Russia will arm, equip, feed, and care for so many conscripts when they couldn't adequately support their main military force. Despite the negative videos and stories, many Mobics willingly answer the call. More videos and photos show the sharp contrast of military training facilities in each federal district. In Novosibirsk, Mobics lack beds, bedding, toilets, and plumbing in filthy and moldy barracks. While in Moscow, Russian conscripts are being issued full military gear, including sleeping bags, have clean facilities, and are well-fed. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, 
but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. The death toll from the S-300 anti-aircraft missile attack on a relief convoy of evacuees from Russian-occupied Zaporizhia Oblast has climbed to 30, with almost 100 wounded. British intelligence believes the attack was carried out by Russian forces and was intentional. Ukraine has suspended all attempts to cross into free Ukraine through the Green Corridor after the attack. If you have a loved one that was staged to cross and is missing, you can call 050-452-9195. You will need to be able to speak fluent Ukrainian or Russian when you call. We have embargoed information about the ongoing excavation of a mass grave site in Izum. We will release that information when we are authorized. In geopolitical news, many world leaders condemned Russia's annexation of Ukrainian oblasts and their dangerous language on the use of nuclear weapons. United States President Joe Biden said, quote, We are not going to be intimidated by Putin and his reckless words and threats. He's not going to scare us, and he doesn't intimidate us. America is fully prepared with our NATO allies to defend every single inch of NATO territory. Every single inch. So, Mr. Putin, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Every inch. End quote. During a Kremlin press conference, Dmitry Peskov was peppered with annexation questions that he couldn't answer. He couldn't provide information on where the new borders lie, social and civil programs, customs, and border security changes. Russia does not fully control any oblasts and controls less than half of Zaporizhia and Donetsk. There is also the tiny issue of a combined force of three to 400,000 troops from both belligerents still fighting in the claimed territory. Brand new and embattled British Prime Minister Liz Truss said Britain would never accept the regions of Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, and Zaporizhia as, quote, anything other than Ukrainian territory, end quote. Italy will not recognize the results of, quote, illegal annexation referendums organized by Moscow in the Russian-occupied regions of Ukraine, according to Prime Minister Mario Draghi on Thursday. Prime Minister-elect Giorgia Meloni had not commented at the time of recording. European Council President Charles Michel condemned Russia's annexation and said the bloc would never recognize the Kremlin's claim to the territories. In economic news, United States President Biden said Russia would not get away with annexing Ukrainian territory while announcing the eighth wave of sanctions. The sanctions mainly were an extension or strengthening of existing penalties already implemented. Over 200 Russian and Belarusian nationals were added to the sanctions list. The ruble closed out the week flat, with an exchange rate of 60 for one U.S. dollar. Crude oil prices dropped, with WTI crude falling to $79 a barrel and Brent closing the week at $85. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline on the spot market fell to $2.37 a gallon, or $0.63 a liter. Gasoline prices on the spot market typically decline as traders look to sell expiring contracts. Chicago SRW wheat futures closed the week with a sharp increase at $9.23 a bushel for December 2022 delivery. We have some late-breaking news today. 
Andriy Yermak, head of the Office of the President of Ukraine, posted a video on his Telegram channel just a few hours ago showing two soldiers attaching a Ukrainian flag to the sign at the entrance to Lehman, indicating that Ukrainian forces had reached the city. Around 1700 Kiev time, the Russian MOD confirmed that Russian forces had withdrawn from the area, stating, quote, Due to the threat of encirclement, the Allied, they mean Russian, troops were withdrawn from the settlement of Lehman to more favorable defense positions, end quote. And that's what we know. Join me again on Monday for more updates. And don't forget to listen to David's Week in Review episode tomorrow. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.